you very much. We, uh, we were asked to give a testimony and share something from the scriptures with you. Um, a testimony where our life, how our life got wrapped up with the Fellowship Bible Church. Um, I have to go back 40 years ago, actually, so uh, 40 years of my life in 10 minutes is what I want to give you. Um, our life is intimately wrapped up with the Fellowship Bible Church. Nancy and I uh, were saved through the ministry of this church and sent out through the ministry of this church and served in the ministries of this church for the, our entire life, all the time that we came to know Christ as Savior. It began this way, in the early 70s, uh, we were just married, the very early 70s. Uh, my wife's brother was diagnosed with cancer, he was 12 years old. Uh, it was a severe cancer and it shortly took his life just a little bit thereafter. But having a Roman Catholic background, uh, Nancy and I became religious again. You know, you, you get religious because you, you want to somehow, God will somehow work and uh, her brother Richie could survive. Uh, we knew a couple of younger priests at that time, and one of them actually was part of the party scene that we used to go to, and we would ask him questions about, about the Lord, would ask him questions about heaven and hell, and much to our dismay, he really didn't have any scriptural answers at all. It was sort of a, an emptiness of hope that he would give us. Uh, I remember Nancy asking him about hell. Our precept of hell was, uh, it was right here on earth. You just kept coming back until you were good enough to get to heaven in some kind of reincarnation thing. And he said, uh, I, I kind of think that way also. And we were shaken by these things. Uh, in God's providence, my sister-in-law, Nancy's sister, began to attend a Bible study in Methuen, Massachusetts. Uh, kind of interesting. Uh, it was uh, what was called Youth Ranch. It was uh, a sister in Christ, Maddie Vignoli, used to open her home, and we had Youth Ranch there. And uh, as Nancy was attending this Youth Ranch along with her sister, the Lord gloriously brought her, her to himself in salvation, and Pastor Stringer was the teacher there at that youth ranch. Well, you have to remember now, this was back in the, in the uh, 70s, and Nancy was talking to me about this new Bible thing, and I was frightened because that was the days of Eastern mysticism, the Beatles, and you know all the stuff that went with that, uh, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, and it was, religion was out there along with all the drugs and the sex and everything else that went with that. I was concerned. So I decided to attend that youth ranch with my wife. What a sight that was. There was somewhere between, I'm, uh, my mind doesn't exactly go back completely, but there was somewhere between, uh, let's say, 15 and 25 young people there, all in their 20s, uh, Christians, non-Christians, all meeting together and sitting around, and Pastor Stringer would teach uh, from the scriptures. And as he taught from the scriptures, people would ask him questions. And there was a total difference between what he did and what these priests did that we knew. He answered from the Bible. He answered affirmatively, no question about it. He was not apologizing. God had the answer. God had the way. God knew what he was doing. And it was just a tremendous time. In those days of instability, and for those of you who, who aren't 
as gray-haired as I am, and in the 70s, our motto was question authority. Question everything. Uh, you'll recall back in those days, the Vietnam War, the political instability, the uh, illegalities going on, the immorality going on, it was all it was all coming down on us, so we didn't have confidence in anything or anybody. And Pastor Stringer stood firm on the scriptures. I'm not here to praise him. Uh, I'm just here to tell you the truth. That's all there was to it. And though we said we couldn't trust anyone, he said, you can trust God. And where other men were compromising, he wouldn't do that. So there, that was, a, to me, it, it was a father figure. To me, it was a solidifying thing. But... I was an unsaved person, and, and I would go to these Bible studies, and he would say, sin is sin, hell is hell, truth is truth, and you've got to make that decision before the Lord. I, um, I started going to church at the Fellowship Bible Church. By then, my wife was saved, and although she couldn't answer all my questions, I could not deny her life. I couldn't deny what uh, she was living for the Lord. It was, she had a joy that I certainly didn't possess. So I would go to the Fellowship Bible Church and attend. It was in North Andover at the time. And uh, I would go there. And every once in a while, I'd just do some things to aggravate my wife. You, you know how you do that. Uh, I, I would do some things to aggravate my wife. Instead of listening to Pastor Stringer, there was a pew Bible. I would start reading the pew Bible to get away from hearing God's word. <laughs> Didn't work so great, I'll tell you that. God was convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment in my life. And so after a long period of time, uh, as, I, as I was thinking on, uh, on these things and the conviction and my wife's testimony, and I was driving along the Merrimack River. We moved up to Nashua, New Hampshire. I was driving along the Merrimack River, and right at my fishing spot in Tingsboro, Massachusetts, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. In God's providence again, Pastor Stringer called me up, and he said, I'd like to come and visit you. And I said to him, well, if you're coming to save me, you're too late. It already, God already did that. He had come before to visit us at our home, and I offered him a drink. I offered him a beer just to try and shake him up. It didn't rattle him a bit. He just kept going on. But he came to my house after I received Christ as Savior, and we were sitting there. And he says, Are you, do you have assurance? Do you, you ran through it all with me. Yes, I trusted Christ as my Savior. He forced me to learn a Bible verse that night. Now, you'd think he'd give a guy a break, wouldn't you? But no, no. Uh, that night, he said, I want you to turn to Romans. I'm interested, Brother Chris uh, mentioned Romans because I'm going to be dealing with that a little bit this morning. He made me memorize, sitting at my kitchen table, Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. Give me assurance of my salvation. And I have never questioned my salvation from that day forward. Never. I haven't lived up to my life in Christ all the time, but I never question it. I always went back to those verses, to the Lord, and to my salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Things started happening from then on. Our life was never the same. I got involved in the Fellowship Bible Church, and during those days, the church went from about 100 people to about 300 people in just a matter of a few years. We needed a new building. We added on to the building. We were involved in every part of the church that I can think of, cleaning crews and, and teaching and, and building and, and everything that we could do. We just couldn't get enough of it. 
and we started uh, being involved in all the ministries of the church, the Bible conferences, the special speakers, uh, the Christian school. The Lord used it all to, to draw us, draw me to uh, full-time Christian service. So along with Pastor Dan, I attended the Burlington Bible Institute in Burlington, Massachusetts. Pastor Stringer taught at that uh, Bible Institute. Paul Mangum was the dean. Pastor Carlton Helgeson was the pastor of that church. Uh, I attended there. I went on for further education, taking correspondence courses all around. Um, in, the, in the very early 80s, there were, there were uh, several men from this church, from the Fellowship Bible Church, that were called of God to go into full-time service. So the uh, church started what you know as to be as the Fellowship Bible Mission. Uh, Nancy and I were accepted into the Fellowship Bible Mission, and for a few years, we helped out on a few mission works. We helped up in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, a work there. We helped a, a, a man in New Hampshire for a while. All the time I was working full-time, our family was growing. We had 2.7 children. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we, finally, a church in Maine uh, called me and asked me, in Livermore, Maine, asked me to be the interim pastor. So I went up there for approximately two years, uh, interim pastor, they called in a, a, a pastor there, uh, and we came back and we lived in Methuen, I mean, in North Andover, Massachusetts. We rented a home in North Andover, Massachusetts. Um, we were back in the Fellowship Bible Church, we were back serving the Lord, uh, working uh, there at the church in a, uh, a small church in Warwick, Rhode Island, called me and asked me if I would come and speak. There were six adults in their building, a smaller building than this, but a nice building nonetheless, and they asked me if I would come and teach, and I did that, and uh, they asked me to come on as the pastor. Well, uh, six people certainly couldn't support the pastor and his family, so I worked part-time, but at that time, uh, the uh, Fellowship Bible Mission took me on as a full-time missionary. And uh, during those years, for three solid years, the people of the Fellowship Bible Church and, their, uh, and the Fellowship Mission Board supported us full-time for three solid years. And God, God used that, I believe. The church grew so that after three years, the church was able to support us full-time, and they did that, and we just uh, thank the Lord for that. Well, the church grew, and it... It got to a place where after 18 years, uh, I sensed, I saw the need for a younger man to come in. Uh, my son-in-law was there, and uh, he had been trained in the ministry, and he had grown up in our church. He was educated well for the ministry, and uh, the church unanimous, unanimously accepted him as the pastor. They voted him as his as the pastor. So my wife and I wanted to stay on and I would work uh, as a tool and die maker as my trade and we would help out in the church and we'd be involved and we'd be around our grandchildren and um, one week later, one week after we retired, we received a call from the Church of the Open Bible in Burlington, Massachusetts and they asked if I would consider coming there, praying about coming there and um, candidating as the assistant pastor to Pastor John Helgeson. Well, we prayed about that. We had been praying. We wanted God's will for our lives, and so uh, we said, yes, we would do that and see where the Lord took it. Uh, 
I was voted in as the assistant pastor in uh, the year 2004. I was there two weeks and the pastor took ill. Uh, pastor John Helgeson took ill and he wasn't able to return to the pulpit. So much for retirement. Um, the church uh, voted me in as the pastor and I remained there for uh, several years as the pastor and then um, since that time period I retired. They have a new pastor there, Pastor Dan Winberg. I then traveled back to Rhode Island and my family, uh, my son-in-law and the church there in Rhode Island asked me if, if I would stay on with them, help them and assist them, they assist my son-in-law there uh, over the next few years because he is a, uh, he's finish, finishing his doctorate and he is uh, also a chaplain in the United States Navy. So uh, I've been there, my wife and I are there, we're right across the parking lot from our grandchildren. We're delighted to serve the Lord and we're thrilled to be a part of uh, God's work there in Rhode Island. That's 40 years and 10 minutes. <clears throat> so um, sorry, I left out a lot in there, detailed obviously, but our connection to the Fellowship Bible Church is intimate. Every part of us is here. Every part of us was part of this church, and we're uh, delighted to be a part of that. Please turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 8. The book of Romans in chapter 8. This letter, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, it was written somewhere around 58 AD, I'm sure you know that, and it was probably written from Corinth as he was there uh, in uh, the Macedonia and Achaia area. Uh, and he taught and wrote this letter to this church at Rome. Now, the purpose of the writing, why did he write the book of Romans? Well, I suppose every single chapter you could come up with two or three points. This is why he wrote the book. Uh, because there's so much in each of the categories that Paul deals with the church of Rome. Uh, Paul was, said he continually prayed for that church, though he had not been there. He continually prayed for them, uh, for their spiritual and physical condition, primarily, of course, for their spiritual condition. He was looking forward to getting there one day. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be a part. He was praying not only for them, but he wanted to be an answer to that prayer himself. This, the epistle itself uh, is in the eyes of many fundamental scholars is, is the jewel of Paul's writing. The doctrinal, practical, uh, the illuminating, encouraging, the convicting work in Paul's work is tremendous, tremendous. And Paul, all through the 16 chapters, I'm sure you know this very well, but all through the 16 chapters, Paul gives us what the writer of Hebrews talks about as an anchor for the soul. If, if the book of Romans is not part of the habitual reading in your life, you ought to make it that. It's everything there that anchors the soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would, I would encourage you to do that. Right in the middle of this great book, 16 chapters, is Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, uh, the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit-inspired letter, uh, 
is really the hinge point of the whole thing. And that Paul encourages the Romans to consider this third person of the triune Godhead, the blessed Holy Spirit of God. He's mentioned 19 times in 38, 39 verses. And he's the power behind the sanctified life. He's it. If you're not walking in the spirit, you don't have a Christian life. You may be a Christian, but you certainly don't have a Christian life if you don't walk in the power of the spirit. He's it. He's the source of our, our life and our being as far as walking in this present age. Remember, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I want you to be strengthened with all strength, all might. Well, how? By his spirit in the inner man. You can't muster up enough on your own to walk in the truth of God's word. You can't do it without the blessed person of the Holy Spirit doing that in our life. I want to focus on just a couple of verses. We only have a little bit of time together, and I'd like to focus on a couple of verses. And that is verse 28 of Romans. Now, 28, 29, 30, all the way through, they all go together. And I'm going to explain these passages to you someday when I understand them. Paul says this in verses in verse 28. And we know, we're assured, we have full assurance that all things work together for good to them who love God or that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I'm, I'm reading from a, a King James Bible. It's, uh, it's the Schofield King James Bible. When, when I first got saved and was at the Fellowship Bible Church, uh, Pastor Stringer said, you can get any kind of Bible you'd like as long as it's a King James Schofield. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> the new Schofield. You know they don't make them anymore. What's wrong with these people? They don't make these things anymore. I would pay a, a tremendous amount if I could get another uh, King James New Schofield Bible, not the New King James, but the New Schofield King James Bible. Tremendous, tremendous scripture. Takes out some of the Elizabethan English, but leaves in, of course, quite a bit of it. So having said that, this is how that verse is rendered. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. I confess to you, I don't completely understand it. I've been a pastor now uh, for 30 years. Um, I don't know how all things work together for good. As a pastor, I have uh, performed a funeral for a stillborn. It's hard to tell those people that all things work together for good. I've presided over a few suicide cases uh, and did the funerals. It's hard to tell those people all things work together for good. I have friends in the Philippine Islands. I travel there each year. Uh, that storm took place right in the area, Cebu, Taklaban. Gimaras, I have ministered to men in ministry there on a few occasions. It's hard to say all things work together for good. 
But God's word says that. I want you to notice, and I've noticed myself so often, that it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. It was explained to me this way one time, and, and I've never forgotten it, is that it's much like a cake made from scratch. I'm not talking about you open a box, pour it in a pan. I'm talking about you take all the ingredients for a cake. You take the eggs and the, and the, and the flour and the baking soda and the, and, and the butter and the salt. Every one of those ingredients in and of themselves is not delectable. If someone hands you a mouthful of baking soda, here, don't worry. It's going to work together for good. <laughs> see, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. But see, you put those ingredients together, and you have a cake. Thing. And that's God's word. All things work together for good. Not all things are necessarily good. Uh, we did not relish the death of my wife's son, Richie. Uh, my, wife, my wife's brother Richie but that brought us to Jesus Christ we don't relish some of the things that happen in our life but you must realize the Lord Jesus said in this world you shall it's not uh, you might it could happen to you don't worry about it. in this world you shall have troubles but be of good cheer I've overcome the world so when he says all things work together for good to them that love God, he's not saying all things are going to be good, but God says if you belong to him, if you love him, if you know him, that God's going to bring this together into a perfect package that we cannot envision at all. But all things will work together for good. But having said that, I want to go to a small part of that passage if I can, because he says this in verse 26, and of course in verse 27, but in Romans chapter 8, look please at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, when you look at this, it's an interesting term here because this word kletos, called, it, it can be a, a call to an office, a call to a position, a call to a church. It could be that. And then again, it could be a divine call by the Holy God. Romans 1.6, you, you don't need to turn there. We don't have enough time for you to do that. But Romans 1.6, a call to an office. And in Romans and 1 Corinthians 1.2, uh, a divine call. It's God, the sovereign God of the universe, the creator of, of the sun, moon, and stars, and all that in them is. It's that God bringing into time what he did in eternity. And so we're the called according to his purpose. But what is that? What, what is this call? That's what I want to examine today. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. If you've trusted him and his free gift of salvation, you are the called according to his purpose. You know what that means? You have something to do. You cannot sit back. You cannot be dormant. God will not allow that. There will come chastening 
in your life if you do. He has a purpose for you. It's not to sit there looking good. It's to serve him if you're the called according to his purpose. You say, well, what does God want me to do? I don't know. You have to find that out. It's hard. It's a struggle. You have a spiritual gift. We all have at least one spiritual gift. You're supposed to use that gift. What's my gift? I don't know. Ask Pastor Dan. Ask Pastor Chris. They'll figure it out for you. Don't ask Pastor Stringer. Oh, boy, you'll be in trouble. He'll give you all kinds of... But you, you, God has a purpose for you. You're the called according to his purpose. He has something for you to do. And that's what God wants from us. So let's examine this, if we could, throughout the scriptures, this call. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Right out of the gate, if you would, right out of the stretch here, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, God has a purpose for you. Remember, Timothy was, and I want to be careful because I'm going to see Brother Timothy in heaven someday, so I don't want to misrepresent him at all, but Timothy was seemed to be a little bit shaken about this whole ordeal with Paul in prison, and, and he's left at Ephesus, and there's quite a, a thing going on here, but Paul lets Timothy know, listen, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. So there seems to be this rebuke, this, this, uh, this encouragement to Timothy to get moving forward. But notice what he says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. It's talking about, uh, uh, in verse 8, Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of the gospel, to the power of God. Now, what is that? The, listen, when you believe on Jesus Christ, you've taken on a number of enemies. Number of them. The least of which is your neighbors and friends and relatives. That's the least of which. You, you believe Jesus Christ is Savior and your family starts thinking something has happened to you, and they don't think it's good. I remember um, my mother, I, I don't know if she was saved. She said she was. She, uh, she died back several years ago now. Uh, after I was saved for a little while, she called me to her house one afternoon. I, I said, I'm working. You got to come over. I came over, just a dutiful son. I sat there, and she had a list of things that she didn't like about me. Ever since you've been going to that church, you stopped drinking. Ooh. Ever since you've gone to that church, you stopped smoking. Ever since you've gone to that church, you did this, you do that, you do this. And it was all having to do with the Lord. I said, Mom, Mom I came to know Christ as Savior. I've told you about that. I liked you better before. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to disrespect my mother, but that's the way... It was. That's exactly what happened. But we to expect that, aren't we? Because we shine light as a Christian, and men love darkness rather than light because their, their deeds are evil. And we, sh we shine light. Well, then you take on a deadly enemy. He's called the devil, like a roaring lion. 
Seeketh whom he may devour. That's talking about you. That's not talking about unsaved people. They're already set as far as he's concerned. We're talking about born-again believers. The devil is up to, out to trip you up. You, you say you want to do something from the Lord. You say you want to serve the Lord. You're making a commitment. Next year, we're going to serve the Lord. Set your watch. You can keep looking at it. How long is it going to be till he attacks? Guaranteed, 24 hours won't happen. He's a deadly enemy. And so we take on these enemies, but be of good cheer. I've, I've overcome the world. I have eternal life for you. I have a place for you. I have a position for you. I want you to serve me while you're here on earth. And then perhaps the worst enemy of all is you. What do you think? Do you admit it? If you don't, <laughs> you haven't begun to fight the fight. In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I know that. My wife was reading a book not too long ago, and she read a little portion to me. Um, the author of this Christian book on the book of Philippians said this, and I agree with him totally, that the old man, the old man in you, is no different than the old man in you that was unsaved. He's just as wicked, just as diabolical, just as sinful, just as greedy, just as filthy as he ever was. That's why we're told to walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because if you walk in the old man, it's hard to tell the Christians from the lions, isn't it? It certainly is. Okay, now having said that, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. God who has saved us and has called us with a holy calling. The called according to his purpose. What, what's the first part of you being called according to his purposes? It's called the holy calling. A holy calling. You know what that is? Set apart, sanctified, different, different than the world, different than everything we ever knew. It's new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You're now holy before God, separated unto God. It's a holy calling. And it's, it's a calling according to his purpose. He has a purpose in it. His grace and his, his spirit will guide you in his direction. But it's a holy calling. You're not the same as you would be. You shouldn't be the same as you were. You need to press on, press forward to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have a responsibility now. It's a holy calling. But you know what's so wonderful about this? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews 3, 1. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, I want you to see this. This is so wonderful because the older I get, the closer I get to this verse. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, in verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Isn't that great? It's a heavenly calling. You aren't called to, to struggle and fight and put up with all this stuff in this world, and then maybe you'll get to heaven. 
When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you had a heavenly calling. Secure in heaven, kept by God. I don't know about you, my wife and I had some shekels that we put away, and everything was going wonderful for a while, and then came 2008. Remember what happened in 2007 and 2008? Someone took all my shekels, <laughs> called the stock market. And the guy I was dealing with, don't worry, it's, it's only on paper. Yeah, but it's green paper and it's my paper. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> If you just stay in for another hundred years, you'll recover. Oh, boy, thanks for that, you know. Listen, no matter what happens in this earth, I have a heavenly call. And that's where I'm going. When I'm absent from the body, I'll be present with the Lord. Someone said, well, don't worry. Angels are going to take you there. Well, whether they take me there or not, that's where I'm going. They could be late, not me. When I die, I'm going directly into the presence of the Lord. And that's a promise from his word, and it's kept by him. It's not kept by the United States Stock Exchange. It's, it's invested in him. And God said it's a heavenly calling. Remember, we have a high priest seated on the right hand of the Father. We can go directly to him. Uh, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but all Always tested like as we are, yet he was outside of that. We can have assurance in him. Never fails. So not only is it a holy calling and a, and a heavenly calling, but it's a calling of expectation, or the Bible, the, New, the King James calls it hope. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4. It's a calling of expectation. I, I'm assured of eternal life. It's a, it's a heavenly calling. And Peter told his, his readers, listen, you may suffer a while, and then you're going to experience the presence of God. You're going to experience uh, that, that, uh, that salvation that was promised to you. But in the book of Ephesians, in, in chapter 4, look please at, at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling. Now that hope, of course, is an old King James word, and it has to do with an assurance. We can be assured of this. It's not I hope I'm going to make it, but I know I'm going to make it. I'm assured of that calling. Why? Because I was called in one hope of his calling, one assurance of his calling. Not only that, but to the body of Christ, members in particular of the body of Christ, uh, remember, I won't have you turn there. Well, it's right across the page in my Bible, at least, in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse, um, verse 1. Notice, 4.1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called. It's a worthy walk. Uh, see then, Paul said to the church of Philippi, see then that you walk circumspectly. You know what that is? Circumspectly, that's, again, uh, the word is translated a straight walk. It's not, you don't deviate from side to side. You, you walk straight. Why? Because I've been called to that. Uh, my vision is to be straight on him. It's been fixed on him. Not on the world. Not on the things of the world. On him. The things of the world are temporal. My faith in him is eternal. I need to fix my sights on, on him. 
We've been called to a faithful God. Turn with me quickly, please, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Whether you're a trichotomous, body, soul, and spirit, or a dichotomous, soul and spirit is irrelevant uh, as far as I'm concerned. Well, no, I, I take one side of that. But anyway, look at verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Faithful is he that calleth you, or who has called you, who will also do it. See that? I'm the called according to his purpose, and he's faithful. I'm not always faithful, but he's faithful. Then it's a, a calling of peace. Peace. See, there can be troubles all around us, but we're still to remain in a state of trusting God and peace. Uh, you bring your request before the Lord and the peace of God which passes all understanding. I, I've been through some things. You've been through some things. Uh, we, could sit, we could sit around and make each other cry with the problems we've had in our life. But, you know, if those promise, problems dominate your life, you, you're at peace with God, but you don't have the peace of God. That's a peace that passes understanding. So that the problem shouldn't dominate my life. I should be giving them over to him. We're in the book of uh, Colossians, just quickly, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Brother Chris mentioned this morning that we're, we're to set our affections, we're, we're to focus on him, not on the temporal things necessarily, but in the book of Colossians in chapter 3, and you know this passage found in verse uh, 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. How does that work? Well, you, who bothers you the most? Usually it's other Christians, isn't it? Like, I could be bothering you right now. I'm sorry if I am. It was not my intention. Other Christians seem to bother us the most. I'm leaving that church. Why? They bother me. You know, go to the grocery store. That person doesn't bother you a bit, you know, but other people bother you. In the church, people bother you. Well, this is talking about forgiving one another, forbearing one another, putting up with one another. Christ loved you. He forgave you all your sins. You can't put up with that. That's the Krasic translation of that passage. But what does God say? As Christians, we're to let the peace of God rule in our hearts to which also we're called in one body, the body of Christ, and we're to be thankful. Then it's a humble calling, isn't it? You see your calling, brethren, not many wise men after the flesh. It's a humble calling. You might think you're really something, but you know what? You're not. The only time you're anything is when you're walking with the Lord. The only time. Other than that, you're just a sinner saved by grace, an embarrassment. But when you're walking with the Lord, you're a sinner saved by grace, and you're showing forth holiness 
truth from God's blessed word. And then, of course, it's a serious calling. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, make sure, Peter said, of your calling. If you're here today and you're not sure of that calling, you cannot have the peace of God. You do not have the peace of God. You need to make sure of your calling. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never, no, never perish. Make sure of your calling. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know for assurance that you belong to him? If you don't, get it right now. Get it right at this moment. Why? Because you've been called according to his purpose. What kind of calling was it? Well, first, it is a holy calling. It's a heavenly calling. It's a calling of expectation. It's a calling to faithfulness. It's a calling to peacefulness. It's a calling of humbleness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the calling that you have called us with. Lord, we confess that we are concerned about the things of this world more often than we ought to be. And Father, we get caught up with that which is round about us, the temporal rather than the eternal. Father, help us to recognize that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Father, thank you for your precious word, for this calling, the heavenly calling, the hopeful calling, the calling of purity, the calling of humbleness, the calling that you've called us to peace, trusting in everything you say. Thank you, Father, for this assembly, for the blessedness of it. We know, Father, you use them tremendously in the, in the lives of my wife and myself. And Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of the assembly, for, uh, for our, uh, our friend, Pastor String, and we thank you for his steadfastness in Christ. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.